Okay, so this morning we're going to dig deeply into kingdom witness and sharing the gospel. Uh, this seems to be a, um, a relevant thing for all of our groups kind of on the front lines of mission. And so uh, we're going to be asking, how do we do that in simple ways that make sense to people? Um, how do we do that in ways that are on target biblically? And so we'll kind of approach this in two ways. First, we'll, we'll, I want to clarify what we mean by the gospel so that if we share the gospel, we're sharing the gospel and not some other gospel or some truncated, narrowed version of it. Um, and number two, I just want to explore some basic tools for sharing good news with searchers. So turn to your neighbor, person next to you, um, and talk about this question for the next uh, couple minutes. If a person of peace in your life asks you, wouldn't this be great? If a person of peace in your life asked you, what is the gospel? How would you answer them? What would you say? If a person of peace asked you, what is the gospel? Discuss. Have you all heard of the four spiritual laws? We're not going to talk about that. Okay, let's come on back. All right, yesterday, well, not yesterday, um, I was looking recently at Matthew 4 through 10. And in Matthew 4 through 10, we see, um, we, we see Jesus in this cycle of ministry. In 5 through 7, he is, um, he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in 8 through 10, he's working miracles. He's feeding and healing and helping. So he's, he's saying and he's doing in this rhythm. And the book ends on either end, beginning in Matthew 4, 5, 4 and ending in Matthew 10, um, goes something like this. It's repeated almost exactly the same way in Matthew 4 and then again in Matthew 10. Um, and it says something like, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. So that phrase, good news, good news about the kingdom, good news, as you probably know, is translated from the same word as the word we get gospel from. Good news and gospel, that's kind of synonymous. Uh, Jesus' gospel was the good news of the kingdom. Um, consistently, Jesus came to announce the good news of the kingdom of God. 121 times the word kingdom 
pops up in the Gospels to describe what Jesus is talking about. Six times the Gospel is described as the good news of the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' frame of reference. When he was talking about good news, that was the dominant metaphor that he used to describe what that good news was. So what does that mean? Kingdom. That's a, it's not um, contemporary for us in the same way it would have been contemporary for Jesus listeners. So kingdom refers to a realm where someone is in charge. It's the place where the king of that realm is the boss. So the kingdom of Satan is the realm where Satan is in charge. The kingdoms of the world are the realms where the rulers of the world are in charge. The kingdom of God is the realm where God is in charge. And so Jesus comes to share with us, this is what it looks like when God is in charge. Diseases are healed. Mercy is given. Demons are cast out. Brokenness is fixed. Leaders serve and sacrifice themselves for the sake of others rather than oppressing people with dominating power. Jesus points to the kingdom. His good news is good news about the world where God is in charge and that that world is breaking in to our world. Here's a simple way of describing the big story that Jesus operates out of when he announces the good, the good news of the kingdom. So God creates the world. He puts humans in charge to rule the world with God as God's representatives, to represent God's love and character and kindness and grace. Uh, But we know the story. We choose to rule the world differently. We choose to go our own way. We introduce hatred and violence, murder and evil, and the world gets broken. Uh, and, And God is... In some senses, we effectively ostracize God. In some senses, God ostracizes us because God, who's holy and kind and loving and good, uh, it, it doesn't mix. It's like oil and water with the kind of brokenness that we introduce into the world. Um, and so it's rather than like um, killing us or blowing the world up or destroying us, God begins this renewal and restoration project. And the way he does that is by in, by entering our world to reintroduce us to his world. And he does this in many ways throughout the Old Testament. But the definitive moment is in the incarnation when God takes on flesh and comes into our world through Jesus. So God puts on skin and this cross. This is for Jesus. And this is God's. Movement into our world. This is the world of God. This is our world or the kingdom of uh, the kingdom of the world. So God puts on skin and moves into our neighborhood. And Jesus shows us what it means to be truly human. He shows us what it looks like when God is in charge. And so he heals the sick. He hangs out with the poor. He teaches about love and grace. And he ends up giving up power and sacrificing himself For the cause because he loved people so much. And then God raised Jesus to life to kind of legitimize it. To say, hey, this is legit. God is at work here because nobody just gets raised to life um, and comes back from the dead. So Jesus invites everybody. This is not just this is not world domination or coercion. 
This is invitation. He invites those who would want to come into this world to enter in, to, to believe the person and the work of Jesus in this new world that Jesus is introducing into our world. And so those who accept can be a part of the team. We can have relationship with God, with the king, and we can be representatives of the king in his kingdom for the good of the world. One day, God's world will eclipse our world. Uh, God will fix the world for good. God's world will be our world. Our world will be God's world again, just the way it was in the beginning. God will live in perfect harmony with us. And that's the good news of God's world. When, when Jesus talks about the good news of the kingdom, he's talking about this kind of world or realm which is gracious and kind and good, inviting us into a different way of being human. So, um, the main reason that I'm sharing this bigger picture is that gospel is often reduced to mean that Jesus died for our sins and was raised to life so that we could go to heaven. Gospel is often reduced to mean that Jesus died for our sins and was raised to life so that we could go to heaven. Now let me be clear. Jesus dying for our sins so that we can go to heaven is certainly part of the gospel. That is good news. It's part of it. But it is not all of it. And maybe you're thinking, well, doesn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Why, yes, my friend, he does. But interestingly, he talks about the gospel in several other ways as well. He talks about the gospel as connecting to the living God and the gospel as the the restoration and renewal of this world that is in bondage to decay and death. So essentially... The big picture of the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, is that God is at work to repair and restore everything in the world that is broken. God's restoration project can be summarized into four major categories. The first first component of God's Gospel and, and salvation project is um, is God. We are at odds with God. We're disconnected from God. And so gospel is that God repairs our relationship with God. We enter this union with God. We are in good relationship with God again. The second element of gospel is self. We're at odds because of the brokenness in the world with ourself. This manifests itself in guilt, in shame, in depression, and anxiety. And the gospel is that God repairs our relationship with ourselves. He gives us freedom. He gives us peace. He heals our psyche. Uh, It's also about others. We are at odds with others in unforgiveness and in violence. We're seeing that all over the world right now. The gospel is that God repairs our relationships with others. He brings forgiveness, not just between us and him, but 
in our relationships with other people. He gives us the strength and power and foundation from which to practice and extend forgiveness. He brings peace to our relationships. And then finally, uh, creation is a part of good news. We're at odds with creation. There's disaster. There's pillaging. There are powers and principalities in the world. There's stuff that happens all the time that hurts people, that's out of our control. And the gospel is that God is working to repair creation in our relationship with it. So the good news of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God, is that God is fixing and will fix everything in this world that is broken. Uh, There's an old Indian tale about four blind men who discover an elephant. And since the men have never encountered an elephant before, they grope about seeking to understand and describe this new phenomenon. One grasps the trunk and he says, Ooh, this is a huge snake. This is like a this is like a boa or an anaconda or something. Another finds one of uh oh sorry, he grabs the trunk. I so he grabs the trunk and he's like, oh yeah, this is a big snake. Another one grabs the, the leg and thinks, oh wow, this is like an oak tree holding a, the, the base of a, of a big tree here. Uh, a third man finds the elephant's tail and he thinks, oh, this is a rope. It must be a rope. I can climb up. A fourth man discovers the elephant's side and he thinks, oh my, this is a huge wall that I have to climb up and get over. So which one is right? Which man is right in his assessment um, as a blind man, this big elephant? Well, each in his blindness is describing the same thing. They're all describing a part of this big elephant. So they're all right, but none of them are wholly right. They're only right in part. Yeah, I think this is a great metaphor for the gospel. People often grab onto one element of the gospel and make it the whole gospel. Um, so, you know, some people might grab onto the God part and the forgiveness part and make that the whole gospel. Others might grab onto the creation part and talk about how God is renewing the world and and how we should um, how we should work to. To protect and renew and help the environment. And they make that the whole gospel. But the idea is um, that the gospel is all of these things. All of these things are a part of the fully orbed good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is on the move to heal and restore and fix all of these elements in our world. Interestingly, this story assumes a fifth person who can actually see the whole elephant, right? So somebody who can see is telling the story about blind men who are only grabbing at one part, which is admittedly kind of a presumptuous, you know, point of view from which to tell the story. But, you know, I think let's imagine that if Scripture is our eyes and the Holy Spirit speaking to us through Scripture, Scripture is what paints this full picture of gospel for us what, that gives us this vision of of good news as the good news in our relationship with God, with ourself, with others and with creation.
So where does uh, where does death and resurrection fit into this? Where do the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus fit into this? How are they a part of the gospel? Paul says the death and resurrection are the good news. Um, I would say simply that the cross and the empty tomb are good news because they are the means through which God is at work to restore the world. They are, they are the instrument that God uses to practice restoration. Jesus' death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, um, they are the means, but not necessarily the end. Though in some sense, they are the beginning of the end. The cross is the beginning of this sacrificial love. God is at work to save the world, not through coercion, but through suffering and through identifying with us in our weakness. Um, the, the resurrection is the beginning of restoration. It is the first fruits from among the dead. So it's the, it's the preview of the way that God is going to fix the whole world, the way that He fixed Jesus. Cross and resurrection are also means to us having a relationship with God and being the representatives of the King in this world. So gospel is more than just about cross and tomb, though it's the cross and tomb themselves that open up this new world for us, the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus talks so much about the good news of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, living in God's world, is the goal of God's mission. It is the goal of cross and resurrection. There are so many ways that this plays out in Scripture. Uh, and I want to geek out way more, but I just can't. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there and ask... Um, the fully orbed gospel is about God re- repairing our relationship with himself, with God, with self, with others and with creation. Which part of the elephant uh, do you most often associate with the elephant? Which part of the elephant do you least often associate with the elephant? What do you think? And I, I would, the, the way that I'm using God here is basically what you're describing. That if I'm hearing you right, yeah, that it repairs our relationship with God so that we can be saved and we can go to heaven when we die. Yeah. So could you then explain what, what two means? In two is the way that God um, um, repairs our relationship with ourselves. So in the, in the Genesis story, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, it says that they felt shame. So there's some, there's some psychological shame and guilt and anxiety, brokenness in ourselves, um, dissonance within us, the, the stress that we feel, the depression that we can sometimes feel, that part of the good news is God healing us, healing our our mind, our our soul, renewing our spirit, that kind of that kind of thing. So almost could you call it even part of the health and wealth gospel, this idea that 
the self is God blessing us here on earth, restoring us here on earth, whereas the part one is our soul and our future, our relationship with God. Is that yes. I mean, there are, I, I think there's a way of describing, I think there's a way of describing self um, in a way that's not health and wealth necessarily. Um, though, you know, at least in the sense that we hear health and wealth and we're like, oh, that's not good. We don't want that. Like, like I don't mean health and wealth as in the good news is that if we trust God, all of us will get rich and we'll have every material thing that we want. But I do think that if we trust God and give ourselves to God, that the, the deep anxiety that we feel, the, the peace of God dissipates that, you know, and we we it changes our inner wiring. Um, thank you. So that there's a there's a misguided and a truly spiritual nature to either of them. Absolutely, yeah. There's a way of distorting these, like, just like with God. Like you could distort that to say it only has to do with what happens after we die. When it's very clear that Jesus is not just talking about the future. He's saying, God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So may we begin to experience the good news now and not just at some future time. Jesus says eternal life. This is in John 17. Eternal life is to know God and his son, Jesus, whom he sent. It's a very present tense kind of thing. Like eternal life can start now as we have relationship with God. So, yeah, you're right. There is a kind of a. There's a dark side to each of these that they can be distorted. And I mean, certainly that's certainly my understanding is distorted on some levels just because I'm finite like the rest of us. But um, that's my two cents. Other thoughts? I think I mostly focus on somewhere between self and others where lately I've been really focusing on how God can transform each person Mm -hmm. and how that transforms how you interact with other people. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess it's mostly just like the fruits of the Spirit, how He changes you to be more Christ-like. That's, I think, what I'm Cool. Um, Which would you tend to most neglect? Um, The God one. (laughs) Yeah? Because I think that's, I think it's my more of a rejection of like that's what I grew up hearing mm. all the time, and so I've, I've, I've been neglecting that one mm. in favor of other things just because I was I guess tired of that being the only message. Yeah, very good. I've done that too. I want to build up on what you're saying. I I was an adult pretty much when I became a Christian, and what I saw. Like in the people of faith, is the self and the other part. Hmm. Like before I even knew about, you know, forgiveness of sins or any of that, the real, like, first, my first taste of gospel was in the self and in the other. Hmm. I could tell that people were different, that they were psychologically, mm-hmm. like, confident in a good way and sturdy, mm-hmm. and they could withstand you know, kind of wings of life. And, yeah. and I could tell that their relationship with each other, especially in marriage, mm. was so different from the way the rest of the world lives. And then as I kind of delved deeper into Christian faith, I discovered that God and then creation was more instinctive. And so, so I think I think what you experience is a more authentic way, like non-Christians see the gospel. Because they can reject the first one mm. because it has to do with, you know, judgment. But the other two, I think, are more 
inviting. Cool. That's a great perspective, Dasha. Um, okay. Well, so practically speaking, um, how do we share good news? How do we point to the kingdom? Um, and honestly, there are so many ways that we could share it. But I think it's more important that we share it um, than exactly doing it exactly right. No matter which, which way we share it, at the end of the day, it's always going to be a, a, a feeble attempt to speak the, the words of God, which are profound and rich and heavy in finite, kind of limited casing. So we need the Holy Spirit to use us as He invites people into relationship. And we can trust that while God gives it to us to plant seeds and to, to water, that He will do the growing. We have a part to play in bearing witness to the kingdom. Uh, but God does all of the heavy lifting. He simply asks us to engage in conversation with folks. So um, the main variable in sharing good news is people. I heard... Ryan over here answering that gospel question earlier about, well, I guess it would depend on who you were talking to. And I think that that is uh, that's totally right. The uniqueness of people and the dynamic of relationship resist this one size fits all kind of approach to evangelism. The last thing that we want to practice is what one person calls one trick evangelism. Where we basically, we've got one trick, and when it comes time for evangelism, we're just like, boom, gospel bridge, boom, four spiritual laws, you know, and, and we're like, you know, hope it, you know, hope it sticks, or hope it hits, or, you know, hope they want to get baptized or whatever. Uh, we have to have a little more savvy, I think, in, in, in reading people and in asking the Holy Spirit to help us to see what is good news in this big, um, this big gospel picture? What is good news to the folks that uh, God is calling me to, to share good news with? And that, that can kind of be overwhelming, yeah? To, to, to say that there's no formula, like I can't give you three or four steps that you can just do every time to evangelize folks. Um, I mean, that's a lot more manageable. But I think what that does is it makes it a lot more about technique, for us than it does the work and the power of God. Um, so it, it, it is certainly natural to be kind of overwhelmed about this. But I would just want to encourage you. Um, the first step in sharing any of this with somebody that's a person of peace in your life is just to ask the Lord for help. Ask the Lord to help you. And this is what I mean. Um, I had to learn this. The hard way in some levels, on some levels, we had a neighbor two doors down for several years when we moved to Rockhurst. Um, he was a sports writer and um, just a kind of a rough and tumble individual, real rough around the edges. Not a believer, grew up with some Catholic stuff, but, you know, it kind of left that behind was, you know, kind of a very progressive um, Feminist kind of minded, you know, he's a he's a modern age post Christian kind of guy. And we had struck up a friendship and, you know, I was always hesitant, like, uh, so like, I feel like I should talk about God, like this should be natural to me. And but I, you know, I never really got around to it. 
um, early on in our relationship. And so uh, one night, um, well, I woke up one night after sleeping and and kind of realized I never remember my dreams. And I woke up and I was like, I, did I just talk to John? No, I had a dream about John. I don't I don't I don't know where you are with, you know, work of the Holy Spirit and how God communicates to us sometimes. My my assumption is that, you know, sometimes dreams are just, you know, indigestion or whatever or deep psychoanalysis kind of stuff, psycho stuff. Uh, But I think sometimes in Scripture, God uses dreams to get our attention when he can't get our attention when we're awake. So he has to subvert our consciousness to get our attention. So I have this dream and in the dream uh, with John, it's basically just John standing right in front of me telling me, Charles, I really like to know more about who you are and what you're doing. And I kind of woke up and was like, did we did he say that to me in real life? (laughs) It was just the strangest thing. And so I went to some of my more progressively minded friends, a couple of them who were happened to be in town at the at that time. And I shared this dream with him. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, I can't just like go to him and be like, so I've been dreaming about you. You showed up in my dreams and uh, just wanted to talk to you about that. That'd be weird. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, they they had some experience with this and they're like, well, why don't we pray? That was their reflex, their instinct. What? Why don't we pray and ask the Lord, uh, Lord, what what do you want for John? What do you think about John? Um, what does John need right now in his life? And so we just got quiet there and just kind of let thoughts bubble up. And two really distinct things popped up into my thoughts. Um, the first was John is a son of God, just like me. John is a child of God. We're on equal footing and that both of us are children of God. We're both created by God, made in the image of God. And then number two was this thought of it. It was from I later found out it was from Luke 11. You know, the story about where Jesus says that God is like a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And some some fathers, you know, all all good fathers want to give good gifts like the kids would never open their presents on Christmas morning and like find a scorpion. Or a gun, or something bad that would. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe they would. But I was talking about good fathers, so yeah. Uh, oh, sorry about that gun Henry got for Christmas. Uh, so, but good fathers would never. The point being, good fathers would never give gifts to their children that would harm them. Um, hopefully not on, on purpose. Good fathers certainly would not. So if, if we're good fathers and we're broken and evil, how much more will God give us good gifts and give us his Holy Spirit? Right. So that kind of that stream of thought, that teaching from Jesus came to my mind. And, um, you know, one thing that they suggested, they were like, um, I, I never really hung out with John, just me and him. Uh, playing football. Uh, and so one thing they suggested there was like, why don't you guys just go and hang out and just do one on one, just have coffee or have lunch, have conversation. And so I was like, yeah, why, why haven't I thought about that? Like, if you want to talk deeper with somebody, you go and, you know, get the kids 
um, you know, get the kids somewhere else and 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 just do adult conversation. So we sit down and we start talking and John starts to tell me about how stressed he is about finances and they just had to replace their air conditioning and they they basically had to take out a car loan to be able to pay for that and their their credit cards were maxed out and his work was really dried up and so he was worried about how they were going to even make it that month and I thought oh my goodness like this Luke 11 thing that God gave me to share with John I was like this, this is my opportunity. God is inviting me to share this with John. And so I just said, you know, John, um, I just want to encourage you. You know, I, I, I want you, I just want to remind you that you are, you are a son of God. You're a child of God. And God is looking out for you. And there's this story in Luke 11 where Jesus is talking and he talks about how good, God, good fathers want to give good gifts to their children and how God is even better than all of us. And he wants to give us the best gifts. And so I just want to encourage you. God, God is not forgotten you. God has his eye on you. Uh, God, God will take care of you. God is going to provide for you. Um, you know, what do you what do you? What do you think about that? And he was like, oh, wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for, you know, it wasn't like a where's the water? Shall I be baptized? You know, kind of moment. But I mean, that was the that was the can opening for me and John in our spiritual relationship. And it was it was um, a uncannily natural when I drove him back to his house after lunch to be like, John, can I pray for you? Can I pray that? God would provide for you guys this month. And so we got to pray there for the first time. You know, the, you know that it's just different when you're doing that for the first time. There's some nervousness there. But it was this it was a beautiful moment. I mean, it wasn't um, it wasn't like supernatural, spectacular, but it was this it was this God connection between us that really took our relationship together kind of spiritually down a really good path. Um, And that's what I think God is using us to do. We're planting seeds and we are a part of, you know, if every person's spiritual journey toward Jesus is a hundred steps, maybe that was one step for John to take toward Jesus. That's that's what God asks us to do, just to share share good news. And sometimes he has to give us dreams to get our attention so that we'll actually do that. But hopefully this will help us to kind of think in terms of, Lord, what do you want me to share with this person of peace in my life? What 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 is what would be good news to them that I could share with them that would feel natural and right and encouraging? So um, let me let me give you just ah, um, let me give you a few handles. Um, so the, the metaphor that I want to use and that I'd like to encourage you with Rather than being practicers of one trick evangelism, I would like to encourage you to build a repertoire, a repertoire, repertoire, a repertoire for bearing witness. A repertoire is a stock of plays or dances or pieces that a company or a performer knows or is prepared to perform. So if I if I'm a singer, my repertoire is the songs that I know. So that if I'm at a dinner party, I don't have to say, don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. I can just 
sing. I, I, huh? Oh yeah, all the time. Don't, but don't make me sing. Uh, so yeah, if somebody asks you to play the piano. You know, your repertoire is the songs in your head, the arrangements that you know and can just play um, for for people, kind of on call. A chef's repertoire is what he or she knows how to cook. So we, we have to have a repertoire so that we can respond in a way that fits other people. The actor performs plays that fit the audience. The singer sings songs that listeners enjoy. The chef cooks food that people like to eat. So, so um, we have to have a repertoire. We have to have a repertoire because we can't share everything at once. If we share the whole elephant with people, it, it would probably overwhelm them. Uh, missionary move is to discern. It's to pray. God, what are you giving me for this person? What's good news for this person? And then to share that, to share that bite-sized piece in the context of relationship. Uh, To return to the elephant metaphor, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Isn't that cute? And disturbing at the same time? This must be a soup. Huh? Yeah, I think it's the broth for the. Yeah. yeah. Logan, there's an elephant. (laughs) Really, it's probably it's probably dirty water. Yeah. That is just um, yeah reformatted as broth for this photoshopped picture. Okay, I've talked too much about that. So you know, one approach would be just to share those two circles that we talked about. That God creates the world. God plus us, and then and then us. And then God's circle overlapping our circle and then God plus us as a way of talking about the way that God's world is at move into our world. That's a big picture kind of approach. Um, Another approach is just to share stories from Scripture. You notice Jesus tells a lot of stories to folks. And so he has stories are amazing. They're much better than propositions because people can find themselves in stories. They can see themselves there. So obviously there's lots of great stories in the Gospels. The rich young ruler and Zacchaeus or the tax collector at the temple or Levi's party or the prodigal son. Maybe as you pray and discern, what is God calling me to share with this person that's in my life? They'll give you a story that you could share. So we're going to do an exercise in a little bit to practice storytelling. Um, the third is your personal story. Uh, This is simply sharing what your life was like before you connected to God and what that looked like. Um, And as you connected to God sharing, this is good news. This is why this was good news for me. And then sharing what your life has been like since. And uh, we're going to do another exercise in just a little while about how to practice this. Um, In January, just as a refresh... We kind of talked about one way of sharing good news is just by explaining in our missional community context, this is what we're up to. Like when somebody asks, uh, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, who is this group here? Instead of saying just kind of blandly, well, we're a bunch of friends and neighbors. You could say something about God. Like in Vickery, you you could say, well, we're, we're a spiritual family and we believe that God cares about Everybody, everybody's created in the image of God. And we want to extend the hospitality of God, even to foreigners. That's 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 what this group is about, because we're connecting to lots of 
refugees and immigrants and hospitality is a huge value for our Iraqi friends. So that's a much different way of describing here's here's who we are. Here's what we're up to than just saying, oh, we're just hanging out, you know, just having a good time. It's a it's a very natural way to share good news. Um, The next one is just an invitation to prayer. Uh, Mike, Mike Breen describes what happens in Luke 10 by saying that when Jesus sends out the 70 to heal and preach, uh, basically the message that the disciples took with them was to say, God is in charge. God likes you. He is favorably disposed toward you and he wants to help you. How can how do you want God to help you? And just asking people like like, uh, uh, you know, I believe that God is the king of the world. He's in charge. He is powerful and he knows who you are and he likes you a lot and he wants to help you. So how do you want God to help you? Well, I'm, I've really been sick lately. Well, can I pray that God would heal that sickness? And it's amazing when we pray for people. Uh, I think God is eager to work in power. When we pray for folks who are trusting and, and kind of testing the strength and power of God, that, that is just a really amazing way that God can get people's attention and, and act kind of in that moment in a really special way. When God, when God heals or like one of our, one of our friends in Rockhurst um, came to Paul and I and was like, hey, I've just lost my job. I'm running out of money as of next week. And I've got to find another job. So we kind of talked through that and we prayed for him. Uh, God, please provide our friend a job. No kidding. The next day, an employer called him and gave him a job. Like, I mean, that's we couldn't we couldn't say anything, but like God did that. Right. Like you see the connection between we ask God to help and boom. God helped. I mean, this is a faith building kind of moment for our friend when we pray for our friend. That's a great way to witness and to share good news about the kingdom of God. We have windows of the cross. You know, another another approach would be. uh, The way that I like to talk about um, what happens in the cross so, like, tell me about Jesus and, like, why did he have to die? What's that all about? Some of our Muslim friends are, are asking that. Like, what happened? What's the deal with Jesus dying? Did he really die? Did he raise from the dead? What happened there? Um, there are kind of four, historically, four primary ways of understanding the significance of the death of Jesus. And I, the, the reason I use the house metaphor is because each of those perspectives is like a window that gives us a view inside of the house. So one, one window is substitution. Basically that Jesus died in our place and he suffered punishment so that we wouldn't have to. So that, that's one idea. Uh, another idea in scripture about what happens in Jesus' death is... Um, victory. That when Jesus died, he and, and rose again, he defeated the powers of evil in the world. That he he showed that he was more powerful than death, 
and disease and decay because he overcame it. Um, he overcame the, the powers of evil's greatest tool, death, um, and, and he gained victory. So that he initiated a victory that's going to be completed one day. Another window on the cross is love. In the cross, we see how much God loves us. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. That's how much he loves us. So the cross is this demonstration of love. I love you enough to pour my life out for you. And it's the love of God that captures our hearts and our imaginations and woos us back into relationship with God. And then finally... Forgiveness is another metaphor that Scripture uses for the cross, where through the cross we receive forgiveness because only the victim has the power to forgive. So if you have harmed me and and you have done something wrong to me, no one else can forgive you for that except for me because you harmed me, right? So in the cross, Jesus is he's, he's unjustly killed. And as the victim of that injustice, he has the power to forgive us. So forgiveness is another window about um, what happens in the cross. And resurrection. I'm having to move through these fast because I don't have much more time. Um, Romans 6.23, this is just an example of like Galen in Africa. This is one of his favorite ways to talk about gospel. And it is more kind of God and self oriented. You know, it, it, it says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You have this this very simple way of saying um, um, sin and death and eternal life and God. There's there's this or there's this and just describing that really simply. Um, eternal life, we have to understand eternal life within this broader gospel picture because it's not just um, when we get to heaven. The eternal life begins now. It is a quality of life. It is something we can experience in the present. So there, I think there's ways we can share texts like Romans 6.23 that have traditionally been used to say, if you trust in Jesus, you get a ticket to heaven someday when you die. Uh, this is a way of saying, if you go down this path of sin... It's going to lead to death. It's going to ruin your life. But if you trust in Jesus, He will give you abundant life now. And it's going, to, it's, it's going to result in this wonderful relationship with God. And it's going to last forever. Um, so do you want death or do you want God? Uh, it's, a, it's a great mini message of part of the gospel. So sharing something like that with somebody. And finally, I'll say... This is um, temperature check. Maybe it's not its own distinct uh, song as much as just a way of framing the rest of these. Whenever we share something with somebody, I would encourage you always ask a question that invites a response. Does that make sense? So so when you ask. um, When you when you if you share the two circles, you know, so God and our world will someday become one. And in, in the meantime, God is inviting us into into his world. Um, you could ask something like, where do you see yourself in this in this little in these two circles? Are are you heading toward God's world? Are you heading away from God's world? Where do you see yourself here? 
Or if you tell a biblical story to, to ask, what, what grabbed your attention about that story? And, and use, use the, uh, the, this, this song not as a way of kind of barking something at somebody, but as a way of eliciting conversation. Because that's really where growth and change happens. When you're able to, to give some input and then say, what do you think about that? Let's talk. Let's interact. So we have to think about um, the big picture of sharing good news, not in the sense of, OK, I've got to get the gospel message in. And then, I gotta go. you know, like, no, we want to we want to share good news and then invite response and talk about. It. OK. Um, uh, just as a kind of a reframer, as a way to land this plane before we do some exercises. Um, I'd say the main purpose in sharing good news with our friends is simply, more than anything, just to identify who people of peace are. Jesus uses the story about different kinds of soil. Some soil is rocky. Some soil is thorny. Some soil is hard packed. And some soil is good packed. When we share good news, um, the way when we when we sing one of these songs for somebody, more than anything, it's just a way for for us to gauge their spiritual temperature, to see if they're it's something they're interested in and looking for. If they're not looking for it, that's okay. And more likely than not, lots of people in the moment, if you share something, they might be like, "Oh, that's nice." So, uh, what do you what about the stars? You know, that's okay. Um, take that as a cue in your relationship just to kind of see see where they're at. Um, some won't respond. Others will probably more than won't will in those moments. But there's a much bigger picture there. God is pursuing folks and there's a larger journey.